Good morning. I'm looking for somebody. I do not see her. Oh, well. Our text today is, of course, John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38, the quest for truth. Throughout our lives, many people are in the pursuit for something. For some, it is money or power or fame or a combination of either of those three things. Some people's lives' mission is to save a tree or the environment. Some are in a pursuit to find a good spouse and raise a good family. There is nothing wrong with any of these things in and by themselves. However, I believe there's a greater pursuit, and that is the pursuit of truth. One that your generation faces like no other, with fake news, the media, and the internet. I hope and pray that your quest will be always what is the truth and to do the work to find out what the truth is. Now let's define that word truth. According to the American Heritage Dictionary, it is a conformity to fact or actuality, sincerity, integrity, fidelity to the original or standard, reality, that which is considered to be supreme reality or to have the ultimate meaning and value of existence. Many of you have heard this name, John MacArthur. He is an American Reformed Baptist and author. He serves as the pastor at Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. In his book, The Truth War, Fighting for Certainty in the Age of Deception, on page two, he wrote this, quote, Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Truth is a self-expression of God. Therefore, since God is eternal, then truth is eternal. Since God never changes, then truth never changes. Since God is absolute, then truth is absolute. You'll see a graph here in a second. Barner Research Group survey. This was back in 2015, just a few years ago. And the question is, is moral truth relative or absolute? So you have absolute truth, and absolute truth is exactly what it says. Some people say there is no absolute truth. Well, the statement, there is no absolute truth, cannot be true because there can't be any absolute truth. Therefore, how can you make the statement there's no absolute truth? Do you follow I feel that a little fast. Moral absolute, this simply means morals. What's right and what's wrong. Now, on the chart behind me, this is 2015. People said there is absolute moral truth, 35%. Moral truth is relative, 44%. And, of course, 21% have never thought about the question. Now, 64% of adults... Truth is always relative to the person and their situation. That's pretty high. 22% of adults say moral truth is absolute. 83% of teenagers, moral truth depends on the circumstances. 6% of teenagers said no, moral truth is absolute. Now listen to this. 
They're talking about born-again believers. These are people who believe in Jesus Christ, disciples of Christ. 15% of born-again believers said there's no, no moral absolutes. Did you hear that? How can you read the Scripture and come up with that? I have no idea. But 32% of born-again believers say no moral truth is absolute. And like I said earlier, I'm not going to go into all the fake news stuff. This is not the place for that. But everyone here understands truth and fake news. And sometimes it's real difficult to determine what's true and what's false. Now, a quote from a 1992 Barna Research Group said this, quote, There is no such thing as absolute truth. This is what people said. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Different people can define truth in conflicting ways and still be correct. That was back in 1992. We can see that logic and where it's taken us here in the year 2022. If we believe that statement, that we can believe in conflicting ways that this is true and still be correct, then how can we as individuals, much less a nation, say, God bless America, when we can't even define what truth is. I mean, if we're going to say we can have different ideas of what truth is in conflicting ways and still be correct, can you understand where uh, civilization could almost collapse, be chaos at that point? When we do not believe there's a such thing as truth, or we do not believe in absolute truth or absolute moral truth, how can we even utter the words, God Bless America. It's only through truth can we truly know God. He alone is truth. He alone is eternal. God alone is righteous, and he never changes. He is the source. God is the source of all truth. He alone defines and sets the parameters of what is true. God alone is the ultimate revealer of truth. Self-revelation through creation, revelation through our conscience, and revelation through his inspired scripture, the Bible, to which we turn our attention now. Verse 31. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Jesus was not convinced by Jewish people who said they believed in him. If you look back in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, Many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So he understood that some of them said they believed, but in their heart they didn't really believe at all. But it says, only if they continued in his word... A better translation would be abide. If you abide in his word, then you are truly disciples of Christ. Not just attend church. Not just go to church camp. Not just go to special services, but to remain and abide in his scriptures. Then you are authentic and a genuine follower of Christ. And look what it says in verse 32. If you are truly the disciple, verse 32, you will know the truth, 
and the truth will make you free, or shall make you free. Now, this verse has been imprinted on many universities and colleges seal. And, of course, the significance they're saying is academic learning is the key to liberty. But that's hardly the meaning of this verse. The meaning here involves knowing Jesus as truth, who brings a transforming sense of freedom to human life. This verse is neither advocating or disparaging academics. This verse is not advocating mere information or doctrine about Christ. It's about a living relationship with the Son of God, the truth, who gives freedom to human beings. That's the truth that will set you free. Didn't quite get it, though, did they? Look in verse 33. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been yet enslaved. Apparently, they're feeling a little annoyed that Jesus was implying that they were in bondage. They say, we're Abraham's descendants. Now, yes, that's true biologically. However, historically, they have been slaves throughout their history. For example, there were slaves in Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylonia, then Medo-Persia, then Macedonia, then Egypt again, and Syria, and then finally Rome. But they said we had never been yet enslaved. Yes, the Jewish people had been enslaved. And the context of the Feast of the Tabernacles seemed to be forgotten. The ruinous experience that they had following liberation from Egypt. You know the story, most of you do. They came out of Egypt, right? Twelve plagues. They got, to the, oh, they got to the Red Sea. Oh, Moses, you let us out here to die. Forgot about the twelve plagues that happened. Got them out of there. And God splits the Red Sea, and they cross on dry ground. Pharaoh's army goes in pursuit. The Red Sea closes, kills all of Pharaoh's army. They get over there. Now, they, they've seen all these signs, and what do they do? They form a committee. It doesn't say that in the Bible. I wonder if they're a Baptist. They form a committee and say, he brought us out here to die, we're hungry. And they rebel against Moses. And then God brings the manna from heaven. The Feast of the Tabernacles was a feast they did every year to remind them of God's provision in the wilderness. Did they forget about that? That in their history they had been slaves? But I want you to look at something and think about this very carefully. They're thinking about political freedom. And that's where we get confused. Because when we think of freedom, we think of political freedom. However, listen to me, true freedom is not political in nature. Political freedom is external in nature, but true freedom is eternal, internal. Most of the free persons in the world are living in some of the most oppressive political environments or locked behind bars. Some of the most bound people in the world are those who walk around to live their lives as they want. There is a song out by uh, For Him talking about how many people are living with chains, living in the place of freedom, talking about United States. And you're telling me, Tim, I, I'm free. I live in this country. We're free. We're, we're free to gather here this morning. We're free to go away and do what we want. Yes, at least within the confounds of the law. 
But let me ask you, are you truly free? Let me ask you some questions. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you wear the clothes that you wear? Why do you do the things that you really do not want to do? I suggest for the most of us in this room, if not all of us, the answer to those questions are, we are trying to please people or just to fit in. That's not freedom. That's bondage. That's being a slave. And I always wondered who is a person or people who set up the, the styles. That go, you, know, you go back and study fashion, for example, how it always comes around. Mullets have made a comeback. You know that? I was big when I was back in the 80s. I don't know if parachute pants are going to come back. I hope not. Bell bottoms, they came back in the, yeah, in the 90s. Remember that? And the bell bottoms came back. But is that true freedom? That's more like bondage, isn't it? That everything you do or say is because you're just trying to fit in. Or to please somebody. It's only through truth can we truly enjoy protection. The world outside these doors is wanting and desiring to eat you up. And we do have an adversary that wants to destroy you. I hope you understand that. The devil wants to destroy you and destroy all your family and destroy everything there is about you. And we have a sin nature. That will lead us down the road of destruction by our own desires. That's why we need a protector. And we find that protection in truth. It's only through truth can we find purpose. Most people live their lives not knowing who they really are or what their purpose is in life. Because we have allowed a world full of deception to find our identity and our purpose. Constantly bombarded what you should look like, what you should wear, and what you should do. Now, for the young ladies in the house, I have three daughters. Please, ladies, do not let a magazine or another girl or another boy tell you what you need to be pretty. Beauty comes from within. Never forget that. That goes true for everybody in this room. We allow the world to define not only what we wear, what we do, but even our own identity. Now, the statement of the Jews considering there never been in bondage obviously was not a mere political evaluation of their history. Instead, it was a religious statement rooted in their conviction that they were spiritual children of God and they were descendants of Abraham. And this is where the conversation turns. So far up here in political freedom and all this stuff, but now it turns in verse 34. Look what Jesus says. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. He confronts them at the very point in which they felt security. He judges that they were slaves because they are sinners. And their confidence and their sense of eternal liberty has been misplaced. Because just being Jews and not Gentiles was no guarantee that they could avoid condemnation by God by their sinfulness. Did you hear what I just said? 
Just because of who you are, where you come from, does not mean you can escape condemnation by God for your own sinfulness. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Not only in this room, but everywhere on the planet. Jesus says if you commit sin, you are the slave of sin. He goes on in verse 35 that says, The slave does not remain or abide in the house or the household forever. See, even their concept of inheritance <coughs> excuse me, was in jeopardy. Because there were not actually sons or children who would inherit or who remain in the house of the master. I like what the NIV does here. They would have no permanent place in the family. Not only are you a sinner and going to be judged by God, but you have no place in God's family. Yes, you're Abraham's descendants, but that doesn't matter. You're not really part of the family. But 36, look what he says. However, if the son, S-O-N, makes you free, you will be free indeed. See, it's only through Christ, dear beloved, that we can be set free from being slaves to sin. It's only through his sacrifice on that cross and thus placing our faith in him as our Lord and Savior can we escape that. That's why we have songs such as, Redeemed, I've been redeemed. Songs talking about how great it is that we have a deliverer, a redeemer. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been set free from being a slave to sin? Now, sin is just missing the mark, right? It could be lying. It could be stealing, no matter how small that thing is. Let's just, can we, do we just equal the playing field right now? Just bear with me. The Ten Commandments. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not lie. Has anyone in this room ever lied? Now, if you're not raising your hand now, you're lying right this moment. That's one. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? When you got mad, someone cut you off. Now, remember, you just admitted you're a liar. We're going to go down the road. And the book of James says if you break one, you break them all. If I stand before God in that condition on the day of judgment, where will I go? Exactly. It's only because of Christ and his perfect sacrifice that I can enter into heaven because he has set me free from being a slave of sin and the results of sin is death. But praise be to God that he has set us free through his son Jesus Christ. If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. In verse 37, he says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me <clears throat> because my word has no place or makes no progress in you. He acknowledges that, yes, you are descendants of Abraham, but their desire to kill him indicates... They have another father who's directing their lives. Ooh. Look at verse 38. 
I speak the things which I've seen with or in the presence of my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you've heard from your father. According to Jesus, if you read all in this chapter, you're not children of God. You're children of the devil because of what you're doing. They're not children of Abraham because they did not act like Abraham. Look down to verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. In other words, Abraham was faithful to God, you're not faithful to God, therefore you're not really children of God. How many people are Americans in this room? Americans. How many Americans in here? We're free, right, as Americans. But just because you're American doesn't really set you free, does it? Don't mix up being free as an American as being free in Christ. It's not the same thing. Just because I'm white, middle class, American, and pastor does not make by default that I'm going to be in with God in heaven one day. does not work like that is my point. And that's what Jesus is telling the Jews here. Just because you're descendants of Abraham, just because of all these, doesn't mean that you're doing the right thing. You're still a slave to sin. Always be in pursuit of truth. And your plumb line, your gauge for truth to always be the scriptures. I'm going to share a quote from a movie. And I'm going to change one word of it. It goes like this. Now, it is incumbent upon us lawyers, I would say Christians, disciples of Christ, not just to talk about the truth, but to actually seek it, to find it. And to live it. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy truth or get the truth, as the New Living Translation puts it. And do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. Get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head, and she will present you with a beautiful crown. I cannot think of any better advice to give you graduates than right there. Seek truth. Seek wisdom. Seek understanding. Seek truth through God's Son. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. By the way, in the Greek, there's no such thing as an indefinite article. An indefinite article will be saying a phone, a bulletin. Definite article, the phone, the bulletin. So there's no indefinite article in this. So Jesus is plainly saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am in the life. Seek God. Seek truth through God's word. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Seek truth through God's spirit. John 16, 13. 
But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Live the truth by giving your life to Christ. It's incumbent upon me as a disciple of Christ to only talk about the truth, but to seek it and to learn it and to live by it. For your first step to really know what the truth is, will you give your life to Christ? Surrendering everything that you have to him. By the way, he gave it to you already. Uh, Many of you have heard God loves you, but do you understand that God likes you? He designed you the way you are. He loves the way you handle problems. He puts you together. When you're in your mother's womb, it says in the book of Psalms, he was there weaving you together. He knows what potential you have. He knows the purpose that you are to live out. But have you given your life to him? And what I mean by placing trust in him, if we were to go, anybody want to go sky, uh, what's it called? skydiving after service? Anyone want to go skydiving? So you can think about skydiving. You have, to trust, you have to really trust that parachute, don't you? I mean, you hope the guy or girl who put that thing together knew what they were doing. I mean, you don't want to be up there jumping out of a plane at the last minute, pull a ripcord, nothing happens. I mean, you know. But that's what it means to trust Christ, that you are putting everything in his hands. Just like when you pull that ripcord, Nothing's going to stop and arrest the fall that you're having because of gravity. Only that parachute. And just like that parachute, anything that's going to stop you from spending eternity separated from God in a place called hell is Christ. Have you done that? What's keeping you from fully living out the life that God wants you to be? Get ready for failure. It's going to happen. I'm just letting you know now. But when you do, in the words of Denzel Washington, don't fall backward, fall forward. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Keep looking to God for your guidance. And as I tell my girls every day, never, never sell yourself short. How about the rest of you? What's keeping you back? Why settle? Rush to God. Seek God. There's nothing like living for God. There's lots of talent in this room. Future preachers, missionaries, Sunday school teachers. People who will share Christ and can potentially reach the world. I'd like to end with a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21. This is, let's echo the words of the Apostle Paul. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Seek the truth. Seek it. Learn from it.
and live it out. Are you doing that even now? Are you seeking truth? Are you seeking Christ? Are you living a life that's free, truly free? Because when you come to Christ, the world can't tell you who you are anymore. I'm no longer a slave to fear, the song goes, because I am a child of God. When God looks at you, he sees precious, precious souls that he created, that he wove together. And he loves you so much that he sent his only son the great I am took on human flesh, walked among us. Every miracle he did, he did it for somebody else, not for himself. And finally laying his life down. Demonstrating God's love for us and offering himself up to sacrifice, but also demonstrating at the same God, God's wrath against sin as he took the punishment. See, I, I deserve to be up there, not him. I'm the sinner. I deserve what Jesus bore that day. But because of the grace of God, only because of the grace of God, I am free. And because the Son has set me free, I am free indeed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we could have together. Father, I pray that your spirit will continue to move among us. Continue, dear Father, to work. And I pray that each of us will respond to your voice. Give us the courage and the wisdom and discernment. Father, Draw people unto yourself. Draw them in. And wrap your mighty arms of love and peace around each one. Continue to move and continue to speak. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?